We're talking about living life on purpose. Life should not be uh, lived accidentally. You know, sometimes I feel like some people live life and they're like the ball in the pinball game and you're just bouncing off circumstances. Anybody ever feel like that in life? Like, boom, you know, and, and really life is really reactionary that because that ball is not controlling where it goes. It's controlled by circumstances and whoever has the flippers, right? And many times you end up down in the gutter. And, uh, but I believe that God has not called us to bounce through life off of circumstances. We are to live on purpose. So uh, uh, we're going to be talking about an issue. If you have your bulletin, then you'll see there's a, a topic that we're going to address that is a big topic. A lot of people have struggled in this area, uh, probably all of us at one point or another. Uh, but I'm going to be talking about uh, losing your temper and anger. So I'm going to be asking some questions here, and I'm not expecting you to confess and raise your hand, okay? So even if I ask it, it's kind of rhetorical. You don't have to respond on that because then everyone's going to be like, oh, so you're the angry person, right? You're the one. So anyway, here's the thing. When you lose your temper, uh, you really kind of feel foolish, right? Anybody ever felt that way? And, and I'm not really one that loses my temper or, or gets angry outbursting wide. But let me tell you, the times that I have, I always feel foolish. I always like, like why, oh God, why did I say that? You know, why did I allow those words? Why did I do the thing that I did? So I have felt that way. And let's be honest, when you lose your temper, there's a cost, all right? There's a cost. There's, a, there's, there's relationships that get ruined all the time because of an anger, whether it's a marriage, uh, friendships that have uh, separated. There's people within your own family that won't talk to each other because they've allowed uh, anger to control that. Anger has a way of severing relationships, right? Uh, not just in relationships. How many of you know at work? Boy, financially, uh, the, the cost of anger can really take, a, take its toll. There are many, many people that have lost their job because they lost it on the job. You know what I'm saying? Uh, not only that, if you're an employer and you lose it on your employees, you may lose your best employee, right? Because you got angry, you went off. Don't, again, don't raise your hand on this, but has anyone ever broken things in your anger? Come on, that has happened. It's like, you know... Things are flying in the house, and uh, you're upset. Uh, I got this picture because you may or may not realize that there's actually these places called anger rooms or rage rooms now. Anybody ever hear of those? You can actually pay to go break stuff. I go to this place, I'm so angry, you know, I'm so mad. And, you know, it's, let me just say, I can't imagine being, you're so angry, oh, I got to go to the rage room, you know, and you drive there. Listen, if you see someone drive into the rage room, don't cut them off because they may not make it to the rage room, right, before they go off. And, uh, and I think, you know what, it's always better to break somebody else's TV than yours. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that they have that. But it makes me think of these two verses, Proverbs twenty nine eleven. It says, fools vent their anger, but the wise do what? We hold it back, right? Ecclesiastes 7.9, control your temper, for anger labels you as a fool. I mean, we don't want, nobody wants to be called a fool. Is that like, anybody, was that your nickname in high school or anything, right? No. <laughs> so you raise your hand, no. Nobody likes to be called that. And here's the thing, when we raise our voice, when we lose our temper, we feel like we're making a point, right? 
Oh, I'm just making a point. But the truth is, what I'm doing is labeling myself. Because if you know somebody that, that, that loses it and has that struggle, uh, basically, you know, you got a name tag, right? Some jobs, right? You don't want fool written there, right? You don't want to label yourself. So like I said, we're called to live on purpose, and we can't allow anger or anything else to deter us from what God has called us to do. Because it will. It will hold you back. So uh, again, I'm going to ask some questions, but don't raise your hand. Are you an angry person? Don't point to anyone either, right? Okay. Do you lose your temper and the control of your words that come out of your mouth sometimes? I mean, it's like it comes out. Uh, let me say this. Have you ever wished that you said something and you could like, you, you see it going through the air and you're like, oh man, I wish I could grab that and bring it back. Right? And once it, how many of you know once it comes out, it's out? Right? It's like once you send that email, how many of you can't unsend it? There is no way of doing that. So it goes out. And, and, or, or maybe you don't do that, but in your mind you're thinking, you know what, that person did this, that, and the other thing to me. And, uh, and you kind of think of ways that you wish that you could get back to them, get back at them. And uh, even if you don't follow through with it, it's like something that just like lives up there in your mind then guess what? You might have an anger problem. And let me just say, you may not classify yourself as having an anger problem because you might be able to do this. You might be able to hold it back. Oh, I'm angry, but I'm holding it back, you know. But people can still see it all over your face, right? Uh, if you're that person, how many of you know, uh, eventually there's going to be a time coming when you're going to become like this guy. Popeye, he says, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. How many of you ever thought about Popeye had an anger issue? Did you ever think that? It's like, I, we watched this as a kid, and it's like, he takes, you know, verbal abuse, whatever, you know, beatings from Bluto or whatever his name was, and, 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 and he's just kind of mumbling and grumbling. If anybody ever watched the movie with Robin Williams and Popeye, he's just like, <clears throat> you know, he's like mad. He's grumbling, and then he pops open his spinach, and all chaos lets loose, right? Like, look out, you know? And even though we know Bluto deserved it, how many of you know that's no way to live your life? I love Popeye, but you know what? Don't follow Popeye's example, right? I, I hope we can realize and understand how destructive our anger can be. It can really ruin things. So last week, I started talking about Esther, talking about heroes and villains in the book, uh, I encouraged you guys to read through. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this either because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, but there's only 10 chapters in Esther. I would encourage you to read it because it's got so many life lessons that we can uh, really go over. And I'm just going to give you a brief uh, background in case you missed it last week. Many years before Esther was ever written, the nation of Israel was divided into two nations. There was the northern kingdom. There was the southern kingdom. Over time, both of these kingdoms didn't honor God. And over the course of a few hundred years, both of them got taken into captivity in the east by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so there's the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire that went back and forth uh, with who was in control. And so the book of Esther takes place during the Persian rule. And the people, if you were a captive in a foreign land, you were treated as a second-class uh, citizen. You were oppressed, treated harshly. And, and the king of Persia at this time was King Xerxes. Uh, he was ruthless. He wasn't a good guy. But the story of Esther is about a Jewish girl that grew up as the second-class citizen and became queen. And, uh, and then we know in there is Haman. He's the villain. 
He hated all Jews and tried to have them killed. And we learned last week that Mordecai convinced uh, Esther to go to the king and convince him to uh, uh, basically free the Jews, uh, keep, you know, keep them from dying. And, and that happened. Haman was defeated. So today we're going to be looking at Haman. He was wealthy. He had influence. He had position. He was a man who had anger issues that actually caught up to him, and it cost him everything. So we can learn something, and we're going to jump right into chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 1. It says, Sometimes later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of that guy. I'm not trying to pronounce it right. The Agite, and there's a reason I have that. I'm going to get back to that a little bit later. Over all the other nobles. So he was the, the, the most powerful official in the empire. And it says, All the king's officials would bow before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded. Can you imagine, would that ever go to your head? I'm the second most powerful person in all of the Persian empire. Everywhere I go, people are bowing down. Everybody bowed down to him. Well, almost. Because look at the rest of this verse. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Let me just say this. Like, why wouldn't you be respectful? Why wouldn't you show that? Well, he didn't bow down. That was all that he did. And you need to understand, because back then it was a lot different. If you were a leader of a, of a nation, whether it was Babylon or Persia, they had these huge God complexes like, I'm God. Think about King Nebuchadnezzar. He had a statue built that was in his image. He expected people to bow to that. And remember the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow, got thrown into the fiery furnace and came out. But then later on, King Darius, he had this proclamation that everybody's going to pray to me. Let me just say, nobody pray to me because I can't answer your prayers, okay? Uh, but that was a very common thing back there. And most likely, King Xerxes had this same God complex going on. And now that Haman is up there, he's like, hmm, maybe he had a junior God complex. I don't know. Uh, but Mordecai was a faithful follower of God. And I'm not going to bow to this man. I only bow to God. I only worship God. So that didn't sit well with Haman. And look what happens in verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled, everybody say it, with rage, right? That's an interesting Hebrew word because it's actually got two definitions. Uh, let me give you the first one. So here's the, here's the Hebrew root word right there. And the first one means kind of what you would think, anger, rage, fury, wrath. Uh, it says a very strong feeling of displeasure, hostility, or antagonism, usually in relation to a wrong and I like how it says real or imagined. How many of you know it doesn't have to be real for you to get angry? Right? We get angry about things that, that are imagined in our mind. We thought, oh, that person must be thinking this about me. Right? Oh, they must have. Did you hear that tone that they said? And then we kind of play it in our mind, and that person didn't have that tone or didn't, didn't have that thought at all. But yet you're stewing about something you imagined. Right? None of you guys have ever done that. That's other people, right? So, uh, and he says this, it, is, it goes, as an extension of the heat and burning feeling one has when you're emotionally worked up and in strife and turmoil, right? When you, someone says you're red in the face, how many of you know there's actually a body reaction when you're anger? And, uh, and I told this to the first service because we, we had a friend, we used to call, Pastor Colleen and I, we worked at a restaurant and we would mess with him. He's a pastor. Actually, he just retired, but... Uh, 
Great guy. He was a friend, but we would harass him every now and then, just messing with him. And we knew when he really got angry because he had this vein in his head that started to pop out. And we're like, oh, no, we need to stop messing with Brett right now. He's actually getting angry now. So uh, that's a real thing that happens. So that's the first definition. The second definition, and this is in a, a Bible dictionary, it says this. It's venom, snake poison. Like if you're talking about snake poison, it's the exact same word. And it says the fluid product of a snake that causes injury or death, possibly an extension of heat as a feeling in the body when one is injected with poison. Like if you've ever gotten stung or bit by something, there's that heat, right? That's going on. That's rage. And it says that Haman was filled with this venom, with this, uh, this poison that is going on, and it really is a poison. The second part of the verse, it says, He, Haman, he looked for a way to destroy how many of the Jews? All the Jews, right? Wow. So the first lesson that we can learn from Haman is that an angry person is easily offended. Isn't that, that is true, right? I mean, we know this. This isn't like rocket science here, right? Mordecai refused to bow, and he was filled with rage. He was filled with the snake poison. The heat was going on inside of his body, and he believed that he deserved some respect. I, I deserve it. I'm the second in command. And, and the Bible says that Mordecai refused to pay homage to Haman. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, I'm not getting worked up if someone doesn't pay me homage. What is that anyway, right? Uh, homage means to publicly show somebody respect and honor, right? Can't we be just like Aretha Franklin and get a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T? <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't actually sing it, right? <laughs> Let me just say, you guys weren't here in the first service, but I misspelled it. So uh, I had it written right here, and I looked to make sure that I spelled it right. But here's the thing. If someone doesn't show us respect, we get upset. Right? If, if you're driving down the road and somebody does it, somebody like cuts you off, we get upset, right? Whatever the situation uh, happens, we want people. And if you go to a restaurant, how many of you expect good service? Right? Do you ever go in like, man, I hope they don't come over to my table for 30 minutes? And uh, when they do come, that they're disrespectful, like smacking their gum or something like that. And, uh, and then they bring me out the wrong order. We don't want that, right? We expect good service, right? Well, I'm going to tell on myself a story here because a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went to Applebee's. I wish the Camden Park one looked like that, right? Uh, but we got there. Uh, I think Randy was there and Timothy, Stephanie, the kids. We were there. And our service was like so slow, Right? Anybody ever been there, right? Not, I'm not saying necessarily Applebee's, but we, I was out of my drink and I wanted my refill and we had asked for a couple of other things that were there and then I'm just thinking, she's like, okay, I'll be right back with that. So then I see and we're waiting, we're waiting and all of a sudden after several minutes, I see her on the other side of the restaurant having a conversation with somebody else just talking. And so my mind perceived as thinking, she's just shooting the breeze. She doesn't even care. I don't know how long it was. Like It felt like 20 minutes, but it was probably more like five or seven minutes, right? Because uh, when you're like getting a little upset, how many of you know time like stretches out right there? And uh, eventually she stops the conversation. Whoever the guy was that she conversed with comes back over, sits at a table that's right over by us where we were eating. And, and I had seen her throughout the time bringing them food she had like all they had all kinds of food they it was two people and they probably had like 
ten plates on their table there, and they ate pretty much all of it, but they were both complaining. I could hear them mumbling and complaining, and she comes over, apologizes to them, and says that they're not going to have to pay for their thing. They get up, still mumble and grumble, and then they stiffed her. And all of a sudden, I'm like, my perceived offense, all of a sudden I realized that guy was chewing her out over there for that amount of time. She did all this service and then got like hosed, basically. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, you know, so I was nice. Uh, we all left a tip. I left an unusually large tip with uh, invitation to church at that because uh, I was like, man, she, she deserves something. But let me tell you, if, if God didn't show me that, I would have just been mad. And it's like, man, I'll stiff her too. Right? Actually, I never stiff people, even if it's bad. But the point is, when we don't get the respect we think we should, we get angry and offended. We, we do that. Like I said, it could be at work. You don't get it respected by your employer, a coworker, uh, customers. Anybody ever work in retail? How many of you know? That's I see Stephanie's hand. I, I pray for people that have to work in retail because I've seen some customers can just be rude, right? <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, you know, you tell me off anymore. Anyway, family, parents, siblings, all of that, church. Anybody ever felt disrespected in church? The pastor didn't shake my hand. I've literally had people that have left the church because I didn't shake their hand. There was a place where our kids were younger and they, this couple didn't have, they didn't go over to talk to them, but they sat, our pews that we had were like seriously a mile long. They sat in the middle of it, and it's like, your kids never come over and say hi to me. Uh, and so they were upset and left the church. I'm like, seriously? What's going on, right? They, they had this perceived feeling, and they got offended. We expect more respect from people, and when we don't get it, we just get offended. Can I say that's no way to live? That's no way to live. I want to just tell you, this may be a shocker, but people are going to make mistakes. They're, they're going to do the wrong thing, like anybody ever done the wrong thing. We all fail to meet expectations of other people. That's just how life is. And when it happens, listen, we've got to choose not to be offended. Offense really is a choice, isn't it? Oh, pastor, but you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. It, it really doesn't matter. It's still a choice. Can I say that again? It doesn't matter what people have said to you or what people have done. It is your choice to get offended. And you make that decision. Proverbs 17, 9 says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it, dwelling, separates close friends. I bet you there's several testimonies here of how that has happened. I like how it has it in the message. It says, Overlook an offense and you bond a friendship, but guess what? Fasten onto a slight, goodbye friend. That's the truth, isn't it? I mean, it's a choice. We can either forgive and overlook and have, continue to have a good relationship, or we can hang on, we can dwell on it, and it's like that's the end of that relationship. I can't tell you how many times I have seen this uh, in my life. People that have gotten offended. And, and let me just say, there are people that have had friends in a church and it's like, oh, this is all my friends. But then they got an offense and separated themselves and they lost all those friendships because they chose to hang on to that. And so we've got to make a decision. We've got to make that decision to say, I choose not to get offended. Let me tell you, the best time to make that decision is at the beginning of the day, not in the middle of an offense. 
Just understand, when you wake up, you know what, Lord, when I go out today, there's a possibility that somebody's going to offend me. Somebody's going to disrespect me. Lord, I choose now to forgive them. I choose now to take that stand. So make that decision. So Haman was offended, but not only was he offended, he also overreacted, which is my second point. An angry person overreacts. Doesn't that happen? Mordecai, think about this. Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman, so Haman, he didn't just want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill all the Jews. Like, I don't like you, and I don't like the horse you rode in, and all the people that even look like you. All right? He wanted to kill all of them. And look what it says in verse 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout the province of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king, so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. And he goes, if it pleases a king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed. I'll give 10,000 large sacks of silver. I don't know how much money that is, but it sounds like a lot, right? To the government, two million, I'll take it. Administrators to be deposited into the royal treasury. Can I tell you, talk about an overreaction. You know, one guy doesn't bow, so all your people need to die, right? Everybody there. When you overreact, how many of you know you lose control? It happens all the time. I, I want to show you a video, but I want to set it up first because it, it starts out really quick, but there's a, a guy on a motorcycle that must have gotten cut off or something by somebody in traffic, and, uh, and it's going to be in the top left corner of the screen whenever it comes on. So uh, just kind of watch there. You might miss. He actually kicks the car as he's riding, which that's pretty tricky down the highway, but we'll go ahead and play that and let you guys watch it. There it is. Okay, you see him kick it? And watch the motorcycle. He speeds up and gets out of there. He's like, I'm out. Wow. So anyway, there it is. Technically, they happen. I'm okay with that. And I'm not angry. I'd have a real problem right that. Listen, when you deal with technology, you've got to expect that. So don't throw your laptop on the ground or your computer when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. But you look at that... That guy's anger, because he got cut off and thought, I'm going to kick this, motor, or this car, uh, led to a multi-car collision. And I don't know if anyone got hurt in that. That was just on YouTube. So I'm thinking, if you're going at high speed and you're flipping, you're hurt. And many would say, you know what, I would never do anything like that. But can I just say that when you go online, I'm just using online because uh, this happens. Uh, a single mom working as a waitress doesn't get around fast enough to fill up your tea. And so what, you know, like... What, what happened when we were at the restaurant, I could have walked away, posted a scathing review of the whole restaurant, and like, don't go to that place. It's horrible. You're going to get the worst service that you ever got if you go there. How many of you know that's an overreaction? Right? That's an overreaction. Or maybe there's a teenager making minimum wage at Walmart and happens to give you the wrong change on accident. So you go online and make a, a rant about incompetent people that don't know how to make change anymore. How many of you know that's an overreaction, right? Or maybe there's an article you read about some government program being stopped by, by someone you didn't vote for, and so now we're going to conspire a conspiracy theory about it, right? We're going to put it out there because I can't believe this has happened. Again, it's an overreaction. So I want you, I want you to hear, uh, if we live easily offended lives, 
if we don't have any problem sharing our offense with other people, like, I get offended, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to start calling. I'm going to start letting people know. Do you know what that person did? If we live that way, then not only, number one, are you a gossip, secondly, you are setting yourself for a lifetime of rage and overreaction. Right? We've got to learn to control it. Listen, when bad things happen, and, and I know this is not a shock because they do happen, bad things are going to happen, right? Nobody has a perfect life. Nobody's got everything working their way. When it does happen, we've got to choose not to overreact. We've got to make that choice. This is what we should do instead. Calm down. We've been kind of joking about this at around our house over the last uh, uh, couple of months, but this is what I found about when you tell someone to calm down, that's probably not the best things to say. So this is something that I need to tell myself. Everybody say, tell myself. Tell myself to calm down, right? If, if my wife is upset about something and I say, calm down, how many of you know uh, it's probably going to calm up? Right? So we have to tell ourselves, we have to choose to uh, calm down. We've got to learn to relax when things don't go your way. Yeah, when, when, yeah, when something, something happens, when you don't get your tea filled as fast as you want, when somebody gives you a look that you're thinking, oh, they must, not, they must be thinking this. And uh, w- this is something we need to practice. Now, Haman didn't practice that. He hated the Jews so much. And why did he hate the Jews so much? Well, it's really found in his past. If you look in uh, verse 1, I had this highlighted earlier, that he is uh, the son of Ham of whatever, the Agite. What in the world is an Agite? So uh, the Agites were descended. I'm going to give you a little history here of the descendants of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And, And if you look back, the Amalekites were the enemies of God's people. And, and so much so, they caused a lot of problems. If you look all the way back, hundreds, this is literally hundreds of years before in 1 Samuel 15 when Saul was the king. So he was the first king of Israel. This is all the way after they've gone through all these kings and got taken captive. But he, God told him, he says, go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. And you're like, wow, that sounds harsh, right? There's a reason for it. Saul disobeyed. It says he slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt, but he really didn't do all of it. It says Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, fat calves, and the lambs, everything, and in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless and of poor quality. So it wasn't just Agag that he didn't destroy. They kept anything. You know what? If there was a beautiful lady, it's like, oh, yeah, they are going to keep her, right? So they did not do what, they said, what God told them to do. And, and several years later, and this is what resulted in Saul losing the kingdom and going to David because he was disobedient here because God foreknew what kind of problems the Amalekites were going to bring. If you jump all the way to chapter 28... This is when Saul was consulting a medium trying to hear from the prophet Samuel, which I don't know why God allowed this, but he came and it says, The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. So he disobeyed. He didn't totally destroy them. And centuries later, the Amalekites are in conflict. You can just read throughout all these kings in conflict with the Jews. And Haman was a descendant of Agag. The man Saul was supposed to kill 
had he done that, he wouldn't have that. So hundreds of years, this, is a, this contention between the Amalekites and the Jews was going on, and, and it got passed down from generation to generation to where finally, uh, all of a sudden, Haman is in a position, and this is the third point that I want to point out, an angry person holds on to grudges. Right? For years, hundreds of years, this has gone on. Haman had a chance to get revenge on something that had happened several hundred years prior. And, and that's kind of what, if I had a suitcase up here, how many, of you, how many of you ever heard, hey, listen, watch out, that person comes with baggage? Anybody hear that? Uh, here's the reality. We all have a little bit of baggage with it. But I hope your baggage is not a grudge. Because what that is, it is a weight. If you're holding on to a grudge, you're holding something that is preventing you from going forward. It weighs you down. It consumes you. When you're angry with people, it's really hard to move forward, isn't it? It's like it consumes you. So my question is, who are you still angry with? Is there somebody that if you were to see them in the store, you would be like, oh, I'm going the other way. You guys, you know who I'm talking to. If you see that person, if they call you on the phone and you see their name come up and call her ID, you don't answer it because I, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to think about that person. Maybe it's a boss that promised you a raise three years ago, overlooked you for a promotion. Maybe an ex-spouse that said something, did something horrible to you, to your kids. Either way, you know, earlier I said that offense is something that we choose. How many of you know a grudge is something you choose as well? A grudge is something we hang on to. We feel like, here's the thing, I, I think somehow in our mind, we feel like if I let this grudge go, then I'm letting that person get away. They're getting away with it. I can't let them do that. I think the saddest part of hanging on to a grudge is that we drag it with us everywhere we go. Oh, man, I can't, that church, they did this, that, and the other thing to me. Guess what? You drag it to the next church. Oh, that job, you know what, that boss, this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to get me a new job, and guess what? You drag it to that job. Oh, you know what, uh, that relationship, and you drag it into that relationship, right? It, it just kind of follows you everywhere you go, and it hinders you from going forward with what God wants to do in your life. So what do we do? We've got to get to this point where we let go of the hurt and its power over you because it really does have a power. We've got to free our hands so that we can move forward, because I want to tell you, you'll never move forward into the future if we're still hanging on to the past. We've got to learn to let that go. Haman, he didn't do that. That grudge was passed down from generation to generation. And I think if we don't learn to lay it down, guess what? We may be passing that on to our kids. We may be passing that on to our grandkids. How to be resentful. How not to trust this person. How not to go there. Because here's the fact. An angry person with a grudge, it's, they're consumed with revenge. How do I get back to that person? How do I make them pay for it? We really want them to pay for it. We want people to pay, but the reality, we're paying. Isn't that, isn't that odd? It's like, I'm going to get back at that person. I'm going to make them pay, but it's costing us. Haman, it cost him 10,000 bags of silver, right? Well, however much that was, that's a lot to extract your revenge. And I believe this, that revenge-focused people, they don't care what the cost is. So I don't care what the relationship, I don't care about the job, I don't care about all those things. I just want to get even. I just want to pay them back. A revenge-focused life is devastating. And it will tear you up. Like I said, you think you're getting even, but the reality is you're falling behind. It can cost you marriages. It'll cost you uh, uh, the anger at parents. Ah, we don't talk anymore. You know what? They did this and they did that. 
uh, severed relationships, all of that. Revenge-focused people, they are obsessed. And all they think about is, how do I get back? And it's kind of like this smoldering, burning fire on the inside that's just ready to explode out. So we'll see if this works, but I do have another video I want to show you. And it's about a city in Pennsylvania, Centralia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm going to let it play, and then uh, I'm going to talk about it afterwards. So let's see if it works. Woohoo! There's a small town in America by the name of Centralia in Pennsylvania that looks like it has been hit by the apocalypse. The town was left abandoned after a coal mine fire began to burn more than 56 years ago. Underground mine fires are common across the globe. There are thousands that have been burning uncontrollably for many years. Australia's burning mountain is believed to have been burning for 6,000 years. Centralia's fire started in 1962 when residents turned an old strip mine into a dump and setting the rubbish alight. The fire spread through an unsealed opening to the underground coal mines, igniting a seam of coal, and the fire has been burning to this day. The fire stretches 12 kilometers and burns underneath an area of 15 square kilometers, 300 feet below ground. Authorities say the fire could burn for another 250 years. The fire continued to rage unchecked into the 1980s. Giant plumes of smoke and deadly carbon monoxide gases billowed from fissures in the ground. The local highway cracked and collapsed. Trees were bleached white and petrified, and people complained about breathing problems. After estimating the cost of extinguishing the fire at over half a billion dollars, the government opted to raise the town and relocate its residents. Centralia used to have a thousand people living in the town. About five residents still live there today, despite there being nothing there. All real estate in the town was claimed under eminent domain in 1992 and condemned by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The remaining residents were being forced to move, but in 1993 they started to fight for the right to stay. After a lengthy legal battle, state and local officials reached an agreement, with the seven remaining residents in 2013, allowing them to live out their lives, after which the rights of their houses will be taken through eminent domain. There is very little left in the town of Centralia, except for roads that lead nowhere, and a few scattered buildings for the remaining residents. Pennsylvania Route 61 used to stretch through Centralia, but it was destroyed by the underground fire, and cracks tearing through the tar would make you think a severe earthquake struck the area. The town now mostly attracts tourists, who visit an abandoned highway, where many profanities and obscene pictures are sprayed onto it. Over time, the highway has earned the nickname Graffiti Highway. So when you see before and after images of the town, when there was a thousand people who lived in it, and now five, it is very similar to the before and after images of Hiroshima. One picture had a whole city full of buildings, and the next is just an expansive parking lot. You'd be forgiven for thinking the town was nuked and wiped off the face of the earth. I'm not sure if it's love for the town and the house they live in, or stubbornness, but when you think of what the remaining residents have to live with, dangerous gases, cracks forming in the earth and roads, a raging fire below the ground they live and walk on, and an ever-present threat of sinkholes forming under their feet. You have to ask yourself, would you stay?
The reason I even showed that, like that burning fire under this city in Centralia, I believe that uncontrolled anger is a poisonous burning fire on the inside of us. It's down there deep within the surface that need to revenge will consume. On the outside, we may be all smiles, laugh, go to work, come to church, but on the inside, that thing is burning. Like that fire burned for years before it ever made it out. And like that fire, when you can't take it anymore, that flames of hate will come out, anger will come out, and we will spew poisonous words onto other people. Right? It just kind of comes out destroying people around. Haman's need for revenge, it controlled him. And listen, if it's controlling you, you need to take control back. Everybody say amen to that. We need to take control of that. It's time to finally deal with the anger issues on the inside of us to replace that fire revenge with, with God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. So what I want to say is that it's time to forgive. It's time to really do that. And I understand, we can't really... There are some offenses that are so great that in our own ability, we can't do it. We need God to come on the inside and give us the ability to forgive. And listen, if you haven't, there's no way, you know, oh, I'm going to try it. I'm going to forgive him. And then you see him again. Forgiveness is something that God puts on the inside of us. Haman didn't. His need for revenge destroyed him. And, and uh, your anger, your need for revenge, it's, gonna, it's actually destroying you. It's burning on the inside of you, not the other person. So let's move on with the story. It kind of speeds up from here. Esther invites the king and Haman to a banquet to plan a rescue attempt of the Jews. Haman thought he was being honored. Oh, I get to go to this banquet. But, and after he goes to it, check it out. It says, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gates, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. There's that word range again. It says, uh, however, he restrained himself, went home, then Haman gathered together his friends, uh, his wife, boasted to them about his great wealth, his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. And then Haman said, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared, and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. But then look at verse 13. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Like, really? You've got all of this going. It says that he was a happy man. I got all this wealth. I got all this promotion. I got all this honor. But it's all worth nothing as long as that one person is there. And so this is my last point is that angry people, they trade joy for bitterness. Like they got good things in their life, but all I can focus on is this one thing. This one person, this one situation has just eaten me up. And Haman, he had it all. People, people everywhere bowed and respected him, but he couldn't see any of that because of his, his rage that was burning in the side because of one person. That was it. His anger drove him to bitterness, and bitterness will destroy you. That's what bitterness really is uncontrolled anger manifesting itself. It's, it's more than like, oh, I'm just a bitter person. It's something that takes a, a physical toll on you. It takes an emotional toll on you and obviously a spiritual one. If we don't allow God to come in, it will control every part of our life. Look what it says in Hebrews. Watch over each other. Listen, we're supposed to watch over each other. 
You don't just come and like, I'm just an isolated island. I know Pastor Colleen mentioned it. We've got small groups. It's hard to get to know people in a big setting, isn't it? Uh, but I want to encourage you. I know tonight we have small group at David and Christina's. Tuesday, we've got small group meeting here at Tuesday. And then next Friday at Bill and Beth. So uh, on the wall in the back, I want to get you because how do we actually look over one another without actually knowing one another? It doesn't happen. So anyway, he says, uh, watch, each, uh, watch out for, make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace and to make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which only causes trouble and poisons the hearts of many. It poisons. It's that, that venom that we were talking about, like that gas coming out of Centralia, Pennsylvania. That bitterness will eventually pour out of you. How many of you ever noticed if you hang around a bitter person, eventually you're going to start picking up that bitterness? You hang around an angry person, eventually you're going to start getting angry as well. It's one of those things. You're living in the town of Centralia. Why would you do that? It's time to move out. It, and I'm not telling you to move out of a house or anything like that, but it's time to deal with that in your own heart because it's going to cause trouble in other people's lives. Bitter people are so focused on the bad that they miss the good that's right there. All of us have bad things in life, but God has given us good things that we've got to focus on. And I believe that anger robs you of the joy, but I believe this as well, that worship can heal my bitterness. I believe that when you really... We're, how many of you know worship is not just singing some songs? That is a part of worship, but worship really is literally taking my eyes off of myself, off of my own problems, off of my own situation, and I'm focusing it on God. You know, David says that there's a psalm that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I love that word magnify because I'm saying, okay, God, I'm looking to you. I'm looking at what you've done in my life. I'm looking at your blessings. I'm looking at your goodness. And the only way you can do that is you've got to stop looking at your own problems. It's focusing it on him. Worship takes your eyes off yourself onto God. There's a song that we've sang before. It says, turn, and I think some of you know it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So i got to look to him. Look up to him. So needless to say, Haman didn't worship God. Let's move on. Verse 14. It says, So Haman's wife, Zerus, and all their friends suggested, uh, set up a sharpened pole. This is not good advice, by the way. Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. And again, I don't understand why it had to be so tall. But it says, in the morning, ask the king to impel Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet. I mean, sometimes when you just kind of pause and read the scripture, you're like, what? Like, oh yeah, I'm going to impale this guy, and then I'm just going to go on my merry way. This pleased Haman. And uh, order the poll. So this is another lesson that's not necessarily in your notes, but don't take counsel from ungodly people. They're not going to help you out. So Haman couldn't wait to kill Mordecai. So Haman went to the, the queen. I don't know what I have right there. Anyway, I'm moving back. He went. Let me just kind of read this real quick, looking at the time. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared for my people have been uh, sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate them. If it had been merely sold to slaves, I would remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. And the king says, who would do such a thing? 
Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? And Esther replied, so here Haman's at this banquet. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright. Of course he did. The king went out, jumped in rage. I'm just going to summarize it real quick. The king came back in. Haman went over to the queen to plead for his innocence and uh, mercy on her. I don't know, he must have stumbled and fell on the queen. How many of you know things are not going good for Haman at this point? The king comes back in. He thinks he's assaulting the queen like he's laying on top of her and put the hood, said, told the uh, eunuchs to put a hood over him, which how many of you know that's doom right there. And Haman was impaled on the very pole that he had established for Mordecai. So it's a sad story. And it'll, I want to leave you with a warning. If you, uh, if you don't get control of your anger, then this was the one I popped up a minute ago. Your anger will destroy you. It really will. Haman died on the very pole that he set up to destroy. And when you can't control your anger, listen, you can't control anything else in life. You're trying to fix all this other area right here, but it's like, I've got to change this. I've got to fix this area of life. So if you're struggling with your anger, there's a good possibility you're angry with me right now. I'm just saying, because if I'm dealing, if you have people that aren't angry uh, talking to you about your anger problems, how many of you know it might make you angrier? Uh, Who are you? What are you saying right there? I just want to say, relax, calm down. (laughs) It's okay, because I want to see you walk in victory, amen? I want to see you get to the other side. There may be others here that say, you know what, I'm not an angry person, but more that I started talking about grudges and seeking revenge, you realize, okay, maybe I got some issues. I'm not a fly off the handle kind of angry, but I've got some things. I've got some resentment that's in there. And it's been burning and it's been smoldering on the inside. We're going we're gonna to take communion in a minute. So ushers, if you guys can pass that out, we're actually passing out communion today. There's a reason for it, but I'm not going to get into it. Uh, but I want you to grab that. And the reason we want to do communion, because communion represents, you know, the, the, the body, the bread represents the body of Christ that was given, broken for us, that we might be healed. Uh, the juice represents his blood, which means that we have forgiveness through him. And so the reason I've held this off to the end is because if we want forgiveness, how many of you know we've got to learn to give forgiveness? We've got to learn to walk in that. And to begin to forgive other people. So, so I want to, uh, as it's being passed around, I want you to search your heart. You know, the scripture says that if, you, if, if you've got some kind of offense towards somebody else and you're trying to present a gift to the Lord, uh, how many of you know our gift is our heart? He says, leave it there. Go take care of that. And listen, how many of you know you can take care of it right now? I'm not going to tell you it's going to take one prayer to get over your anger issue, but I'll tell you, all it takes is getting on that road and saying, God, I've got this issue. I've got this grudge that I've been carrying around. I've got this thing that's been boiling down on the inside of me. Somebody did something, said something, something happened. Listen, there's real wrongs that have happened to people. I know some of you guys, and I know some of the things you've been through. And and listen, the world would say you have a right to hang on to it. And I would agree with that. You do have that right. But I want to tell you what, you have the blessings to be able to let go of it too. And when you let go of it, I want to tell you that God can actually begin to bring healing in your life. He can begin to bring peace. You know, that that, that peace that has eluded you, like why does that person have so much peace? It's because they've let go. 
They've let go of the grudge. They let go of the resentment. They let go of the anger. And so my encouragement today is to get on the road and to make the step to say, God, I, I want to let go of that anger. I don't want to be an angry person. Lord, help me to help me to learn how to calm down. Right? Some of you guys are going to be tested. You're going to go to a restaurant and you're not going to get your tea filled quickly today. First test, right? Calm down. Calm down. You may get cut off on the road on the way there. Calm down. Allow God to begin to do a work on the inside of you. So we're going to take this bread. Is it still going around? Okay, I'm going to hold off for a minute. If you happen to be watching online, you got time to go grab some bread, some juice or something. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just reminded what Pastor Colleen said earlier. felt like the Lord really wants to do something. I believe that God wants to set some people free from those, those hurts, those angers, that bitterness that has grown. Only the Lord knows how to uproot that. Because I'm even thinking about roots. How many of you know the deeper they go, the harder they are to pull out? So Lord, I just really sense today that there's some uprooting that you want to do in our lives. There's some things that you want to pull out, Lord God, that, that, that have just caused us troubles, Lord. That poisonous gas has just been seeping, and you're wondering why, why things keep dying on, around you. And you don't realize that it's seeping out of you. So, Lord, I just want to declare right now, Lord God, that, that we're going to let it go. If you're here today, can we just kind of, I just feel like we just need to hold our hands. Like, Can we just hold closed hands right now? Represent things that we hang on to. And then just open your hands and say, God, I'm releasing it to you. Lord, I'm releasing it to you. That thing that person did to me, that thing that they did to my kids, the thing that they uh, uh, wounded me with, Lord, I'm not hanging on to that anymore. Lord, I want to walk in forgiveness. Help me to do that. Help me to be like you, Jesus. When you, when you saw the people that nailed you to the cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Thank you, Lord. So we take this uh, piece of bread that represents the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, that we can have wholeness in you. Lord, it's not founding in anything else in this world. Lord, I can, I can only walk in forgiveness because of you. I can only walk in healing and health, Lord God, because of you. And so, Lord, as we take this, your word says that by your stripes, by the, the whipping you took on your back, that we can walk in healing. And so, Lord, I take that today. Let's take the bread. Then after supper, it says that he took the cup. And he says, this cup represents a new covenant, a new agreement in my blood. Lord, that agreement is that if we would accept you, Lord, then we can have complete forgiveness of our sin. Lord, we don't have to walk around with the penalty because you took the penalty. And Lord God, we don't have to walk around with the guilt of it as e either.
So, Lord, I thank you. And so today, Lord, as I take this, I remember I don't have to walk. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, as we take this, we remember that sacrifice that you made. Let's take it together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I feel like God still wants to do something. But can I just have everybody stand? Listen, you may be here and say, hey, listen, I, I want what God offers. I want to be able to walk in that healing. I want to walk in that. You know, the first step that you have to make, you may surrender that to God, but if you've not surrendered your life to Him, then that's got to be the first step. you got to say, God, I, I surrender who I am to you. Lord, I want to accept you as my Lord, as my Savior. And so, Lord, today, I want to make that commitment. So I, I'm just going to ask you, if you'll just bow your heads, close your eyes where you're at. If you say, Pastor, I want to make a surrender, fresh start to Him today. If that's you, can I just have you raise your hand and then put it back down? Amen. Amen. I see several hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to lead you guys in a prayer. And if you've been here a while, you know, you've heard me. There's not a magical prayer that gets you into heaven because God looks at the heart. But if you'll repeat this and if you'll mean it, then I want to tell you that God accepts you. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for my sin and to give me new life. And I surrender my life to you that you might have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, I was debating on whether to do this, but I feel like we really need to because I said worship really takes our heart back to him. So if you guys are good hanging out a few more minutes, can we spend just a couple of... If you've been dealing with anger... And it's been there, even if nobody else in your life knows it, but it's there. Can we just take a few minutes to worship him? That's part of your healing right there. And, uh, and after he's finished, Pastor Timothy will close us in prayer. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, let's just take a few minutes. If you want to come up here, if you want to be where you are, let's just spend some minutes, a few minutes worshiping him.